I know uh, all of us have different things that uh, weigh us down and that trouble us. And, and, uh, but, you know, it's great to be back in the house of the Lord together. And uh, I want to encourage uh, many people like, well, married, married Life, you know, the, what it is, Married Life Live is a seminar series that we go through all year. Instead of trying to take five or six of you to a marriage seminar somewhere down the road, we've split it out into 10 sessions throughout the year, 10 to 8 roughly, because sometimes we miss a month. Uh, but the idea is to get together to focus on strengthening marriage. And it's not just strengthening your marriage, it's strengthening marriages. And so the wonderful thing is whether you're uh, a grandparent or whether you're a parent uh, in a marriage, it's about helping grow marriages. I, I guarantee if I asked you to raise your hands, if you know a struggling marriage, everyone in this room would raise their hands. And that's the idea, is, is that we want to strengthen marriage. And the idea is not to keep you out real late, but it is to come together and to focus on godly wisdom that will encourage marriages. Uh, we start a new series. It's talking about strengthening marriages and in that, we're going to be talking about God's grace and how it affects marriages. We'll be talking about that this time and the following time. So if you know marriages that need to be strengthened, bring them. If you just want to help strengthen marriages, come and encourage those that are there and encourages those that aren't in church as well. And so I just want to uh, encourage you to, to pray about that. And that's our goal is to strengthen marriages and the idea is also to strengthen families. Families are in decline all around the world. Uh, families struggle. It was a, that way in Africa. Family life, we did a family life seminar, and it was, you know, I, I could not believe the things that I was hearing and the questions I was being asked. And it was obvious that they didn't have an idea of what godly family looked like. They knew what the culture looked like, and they emulated that to the T. But they had no idea what God says. And as we were going through our series in 1 Peter, we came to the husband and the wife. And what did God want from the husband and wife? And so now we're going to talk about what does God want from us as parents. So we're going and looking at another passage that speaks to the same concept that talks about parenting. And we're looking at the elements of a successful family. And it starts with patterning ourselves correctly as a wife, patterning ourselves correctly as a husband, after God's pattern. And now, as parents coming together, working together to raise children. It's part of the reason um, Anise and I, after having three kids, we were like, we want more kids. We felt strongly about that, and so we felt like, well, we didn't really uh, get it right completely with the first three, so let's adopt three more and try again. And so God gave us even more rambunctious kids than the, than the first ones. I think it's like, okay, you've learned a few things, now you've got to learn more. So he never gives you easy things to deal with. That's pretty amazing. The idea that we're going to talk about today, the context is the same. 
In Ephesians chapter 5 and 6, it's still talking about submission. Being, submitting to one another for the sake of Christ. Submitting to Christ. Submitting to God. And so as we look at the godly uh, patterns for parenting, the, the key things that we want to look at is, is that the qualities of parenting should be adopted, uh, the ideas in parenting should be adopted to all believers. So you're sitting there and you're like, wait a minute, I'm not a parent. Well, the qualities in the pattern that we're talking about is applicable or should be adopted by all Christians. It's not that parenting, these keys to parenting are just for parents. They're great. Um, if you're learning to lead kids and work at Camp Gilead or whether you're, all of these things are applicable. Whether you're working with kids or, or you have kids down the road. For me, it's a little bit further down the road than I'm used to. Usually, it's like right across the street. Uh, instead, I have ducks and geese right across the street. I have to go a mile down the road to find other kids. But the idea is the same. Just because I'm talking about parents and you say, well, I'm not a parent, that doesn't mean that these things don't apply to us. Another caveat is this. Submission is the key. Submission is the key, just as it is with the wife, just as it is with the dad or the father or the husband, so it is with parenting together in the home. Submission. Submission to God. Our goal. Let me put it this way. Our goal is this. You see this? It's willingness. It's willingness. Just like when we say, hey, Johnny, go take out the trash. And he goes, I don't want Right? Or, fine, I'll do it, right? That's not submission. Submission is willingness to submit to the Lord by placing yourself under His authority. You say that He is more, He is authoritative, He is Lord, and I am not. It's putting your will under the submission of Him and His authority to get the marching orders and carry it out, right? It's, that's the idea. The word in Ephesians and in 1 Peter 3 and 2, the word for submission is the same military worm, worm, word. I can't speak. <laughs> Must be because I'm tired. But it's the same word as they use in the military to get your marching orders and to submit to them, to do them, to carry them out, to be in order. And when we say that my will or my thoughts or my way is better, I'm going to do what I want to do, that's not being in order or in God's order. That's walking off on your own. That's not a good place to be. The other idea here is this, is this is a pattern to follow. Don't be discouraged if mistakes have been made. Draw near to the Lord. And I'm, what I'm saying is this. As we go through this, there, man, I'm telling you, I was falling down on my knees again. Lord, please forgive me. I didn't, I'm not following this pattern the way that you've designed it. And I'm still growing. That's the idea. If, you, if you're a grandparent and you say, man, I, I really blew it with my kids, that's not what God is trying to teach you today. God is trying to show you that this is the pattern to follow and and to draw near to God. And if you've made a mistake, just ask for forgiveness, draw near to God, and then help teach your kids to be this kind of parent. Or help the parents in your block. Or help 
people that you see to understand how to raise godly kids. So this is a pattern to follow for the family. And so no matter where you're at, you can be a help. Now, let's pray and ask God to bless. And let's read Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. That will be our text today as we look at keys to the family, a godly pattern for parenting. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that we can be well, that we can rejoice and have joy. That is inexplicable, that is amazing, that is beyond imagination, that you provide peace, that we can sing that song, it is well with our soul. It is well, not because things are easy. Lord, it is well not because what we talk about is easy or what the instruction you gave us is easy. It is well because, Lord, you are great. You are bigger. You are greater. You are true. Lord, you are greater than all of our circumstances. You are able to impact our families. You are able to change lives. So, Lord, we ask that as we read your word that is true, that, Lord, we can say, all of us could say, it is well with my soul because, Lord, you are great. And my circumstances may not be great, but I can trust you. So, Lord, I ask that, Lord, your spirit would teach us your word that you gave us and that, Lord, it would be well with our soul as we learn from you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The godly pattern for parenting, and we look at chapter 6 of Ephesians. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, all the parents would like to stop right there. But that's not where we're, we're going to head there next week. Okay, kids? We're going to have special children's preaching time next week says, honor your father and mother, this is the first commandment, with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We want to focus on verse 4. Fathers. By the way, the word fathers there is used many, many, many times in literature, in the Greek, for, to mean family. It's, it is talking about dads, but it is not talking about just dads. It's talking about dads and moms working together as parents. Fathers always had the authority of the home. In fact, you say, well, this is a great concept. I like the fact that children are supposed to obey, and we have these, these ideas about parenting. We see it in the world around us, that there's a, there should be a natural order of things. And when there's not, then chaos reigns. And that's pretty normal. But if you were to understand what Paul was saying, and when he was saying it, to the culture he was saying it, you would realize this was a dramatic emphasis and an amazing statement that would shock people. The world in, in which Paul lived, these words 
would sound odd. They would be cross-cultural. They would not be common. Now, to get an idea, it was... It wasn't uncommon. It was pretty natural for in the Greek and Roman culture for men and women to be married over 20 times. And you say, well, American culture is fastly approaching the Roman and Greek culture. That doesn't bode well for America because uh, the Roman and Greek culture is not <laughs> where it was. Mutual love and submission among the members of a family was almost non-existent. There wasn't mutual love. There wasn't any kind of submission at all. In fact, most fathers ruled the home with an iron fist. History tells us that, if we look at history, that the father held absolute power. Let me share with you things that were common. A A father could force his child out of his home. A father could sell his child as a slave. I don't know why any father would want to sell a child as a slave. I need them at home taking care of my home. (laughs) But here's the thing. A father could do that. He says, man, you're worth more to me, you know, than if I sell you. So he could enslave them. He could chain them and force them to work. He could take the law into his own hands and declare any sentence he wanted. He could put him to death. He could starve him. He could do whatever he wanted to do. In fact, it was so bad that infants were placed at the father's feet for the father to inspect the infant. If the father, if the father picked up the infant, the, father was, the infant was accepted into the family. If the father didn't like the infant, he left it there on the ground. And then if the, if, if the infant was in good health, would be sold, sold off into slavery and the money given to the family. Or, if it didn't look healthy, they would just kill the child. Things are not too far off from what history has shown us in the Greek and Roman Empire. History is repeating itself. Family life is struggling. We, and God gives us, and Paul gave these words to the church so that way we would imitate God and not imitate our culture. The Roman statement, statesman Seneca, some of you may know who that is in Roman history. He lived in Rome during Paul's time and while Paul was even in prison in Rome, and he wrote this, We slaughter a fierce ox, we strangle a mad dog, we plunge a knife into a sick cow, and children born weak or deformed, we just drowned. That was the people, that was the philosopher, that was the, the, the statesman, the wise one. Such is the backdrop in which Paul is writing. Of course, today is not that much different. So as we look at the verse, and it says, Fathers, it's talking about the family. Do not provoke your children to anger. The pattern number one, don't irritate the children. Right? This is God's emphasis of don't nag, nag them. Right? And all the children are like, yes! The teenagers are like, did you hear pastor? Well, let me explain. <laughs> Don't, don't irritate them, 
right? That's what I love to do with my wife. You know, I like to, she, I know she doesn't like something, so what do I do? I just poke at it. Uh, my son tried that once and just about died. <laughs> so, I told you that once before. My wife's like, my son's like, Dad, how are you alive? Because I just irritate my wife. Now, once I get the smile out of her, she knows that I'm just, I'm loving on her. It's just like, no matter how bad she feels, she knows that I love her. Don't irritate them. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. The phrase refers to a pattern or treatment that builds up resentment in a child. It's a pattern. It's a pattern of how you treat your kids to the point where they are so irritated that they resent the family. Parents are to avoid causing your children to brood with anger, to provoke them to wrath. Colossians 3.21 tells us the same thing. Father, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. See, the idea of, as a parent is we've got we to be careful in what we do. We've got to think about how we're speaking. How, what are we doing as we raise our kids? Are we poking them? Are we, are, are we so focused on the way that they act and look on the outside that we're discouraging them? And that's what God is saying. Look, when, and think about it. The idea is that we're patterning our life after godliness, after our Father who's in heaven. He is coming alongside, and, and, and He instructs us, and He, and he disciplines us, but it's, it's with loving hands as to not irritate us, but to bring us along so we're stronger on the on the having gone through whatever circumstance we're in. Don't irritate the little children. Sometimes the big ones. Just throw coffee at them. Got a smile out of Rosa. Let me give you an idea. I just have to say coffee and Rosa smiles. (laughs) Or call her weird. (laughs) Being overprotective can create irritation. Constantly trying to protect them, keeping them from things, not allowing them to experience growth. I'll never forget, my wife was sitting there cutting onions, and my, my daughter, not the one here, but the other one that's off at Bible college, she kept going, eh, 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 and she kept saying, no, you don't want onions. Stop. You won't like them. And I was like, just let her eat one, and then she probably won't ever eat it again. She's like, fine, and she ate one, and she loves onions. <laughs> don't be overprotective. Right? Now she's going to go off and be a missionary, probably in some land where there's lots of spices and hot things. Because she loves spicy foods. How about playing favorites? How'd that work with Abraham? How'd that work with Jacob and Esau? Right? Playing favorites doesn't work. It creates irritations. Unrealistic expectations. Do you expect so much from your kids that you squash them? Unreal, they can't meet your expectation. Now, I love to set the, the bar high. But if you set the bar high, you better be willing to help pick them up to reach it, right? Eventually, they will reach it on their own. But are you willing to come alongside? If you're going to set a, an expectation for your children as a parent, and it's high, then you, you need to be willing to come under. That's what God does. He undergirds us. 
So we're not failing. He gives us his spirit to empower us to be able to accomplish his commands. Some of his commands may seem unrealistic to you, but who is giving you the strength to do it? God is. That's how we parent. Constant discouragement. Man, I tell you what, you criticize and nag and just criticize, 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 criticize. Nothing beats a child down and and creates irritation faster than discouraging them. Always telling them that they're a failure. That was my my thing when I was growing up. I always wanted to out, I wanted to prove my dad wrong. Because he was always telling me I was nothing. And I always liked to, and eventually I just stopped worrying about it and I just start. I just started just focusing on the Lord, loving the Lord. And he told me when I went into the ministry as a pastor that I just, what, what in the world are you doing? That's worthless. You're, gonna, you're, you're stupid. He told me I was stupid. My wife couldn't believe it. But you know what's funny is, is when I went back and visited him, he was like, man, how come you have a car that runs? And then the next time I came and visited him, he's like, you have a different car and it runs. <laughs> and he's like, and I'm like, why do you keep asking me that? And he goes, well, because you always have these new cars. Where do they come from? Because you don't make any money. And I'm like, well, God provides. God takes care of me. And he just shook his head. He's like, he's like your, your brother is always asking me for money. And he makes like five times more than you. And it's because I'm relying on somebody who makes, you know, 20 million trillion times more than him. <laughs> I'm relying on the Lord. And sometimes when you pray and ask the Lord for cattle, he gives you cattle. Or in this case, he gave us a pig. All right? so be careful what you ask for. I got a new pig at our house. His name is Sam. Sam the ham. Because he's food. <laughs> but constant discouragement can beat somebody down. Labeling them as a nuisance. How about trying to mature them too quickly? Or using love as a reward or a punishment? We love our kids through the consequences and we teach them. Discipline, the word discipline comes from the word to train, to disciple. The, the, the consequences aren't so that way they just hurt. It's so that way you bring them up and train them. Now, you say, well, Pastor, you just spent like half your time on this one thing. This is important. This is our world. Our world lives here in irritation. All of these things that we mentioned, physical abuse, verbal abuse, irritating our kids, getting the most out of them for the parents' own desires many times. And that, this is where our world lives. But God says, don't do this. This is not your pattern, but this is. If you look at our verses... In our verse, it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but... I like that. It cancels out. He says, but don't do that, but do this. It changes everything. And that is, parents are to nourish their children's heart towards or to the Lord. We're to nourish it. To bring them up. It says, but bring them up in the discipline instruction of what? The school? The government? Right? No, the Lord. We're to bring them up. The idea of bringing them up means to nourish, 
to tend to them like they are a tender plant. You know, you know that tender, whatever plant that comes to your mind. We have orchids, right? And they just never grow. Finally, Anissa left them alone long enough that they grew. And so Anissa's like, I am the worst, you know, I, I'm the worst gardener there is. So she's always asking me, go take, help me take care of the garden. <laughs> so, but you have to treat them like they're so tender. You have to nourish them. You have to feed them. You have to weed. You have to give, you know, you have to take care of them. So that way they can reach their full potential. Right? And, and uh, we can help them be all that they can be. Not in the army, sorry, Richard. <laughs> but in God's army. To reach their full potential in the Lord. Savannah Wesley, she had 17 children. You may not know uh, the Wesley name, but we sing some of the hymns from John and Charles Wesley. And a great, amazing guys, uh, old-time guys. I love to read them, hear their, their, their songs. We sing them. But she wrote this about parenting. The parent who studies to subdue the self-will in the child works together with God in the saving of a soul. The parent who indulges self-will does the devil's work, making religion impractical, salvation unobtainable, and does all that is in him to drown the child's soul and body forever. The idea is, is that she's saying, look, it's to mold the will under the submission of God. Teaching them to submit, to nourish that towards God. Teaching them the truth about their sinful nature, not just saying, oh, you're good, you're good, you're good, but no, what is your sinful nature? How does that affect your relationship with God? Teaching them to submit their life to God. Nourishing is, is about the heart, changing their heart and their will to desire God. That is what he's saying. Bring them up. Nourish them. Parents are to encourage their children through discipline. And all the teenagers are like, encourage and discipline? How does that work? But that's what it says here. But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It's where we get admonish. Um, and actually, did you know admonish, or it, it, it's both encouraging and discipline at the same time. That's what that word means, to encourage and to discipline. To, it refers to the act of guiding a child towards maturity. It's to encouraging them to teach them in such a way through discipline that helps them to mature in their understanding of the Lord. That's what 2 Timothy 3.16 is about. It says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof or correction. That's the idea. For the training in righteousness. Hebrews 12, verses 5 through 11. Listen to what God says about this idea of, of encouragement and discipline. He says, and have you forgotten the exhortation, there's the encouragement, that addresses you as sons? 
My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when we are reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Basically, if you're not being disciplined by the Lord, then you have to check your salvation. You may not even be a son and daughter of the Lord. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who discipline us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to submission there, subject to the Father of Spirit and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but God, He disciplines us for our good that we may share His holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. He starts with the exhortation, the encouragement, and He ends with the discipline, the importance of discipline brings me to my favorite verse, Romans 12.1. You know, every, what do you say as a parent to your kids? Don't say stupid, right? I always get after my kids. Don't say stupid. But in this Proverbs 12.1, you should read it. It's great. It says, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge or life. But he who hates reproof or correction is stupid. <laughs> That's pretty funny. I was like, oh, I had to throw that one in there. But... When we don't discipline, it is stupidity. It's not taking care of our kids. It's not loving them. And I'm not talking, remember we talked about don't irritate them. We're talking about training them, using corrective measures to train them to maturity. We are, as parents, to encourage through discipline. Number four, parents are to educate the minds of their children to know the Lord. It's not simply about giving information and knowledge. It's about directing that knowledge into the minds, the understanding of our children, so that way they know who God is. It's, and that's what the idea here is, is discipline and instruction that is of the Lord. The instruction is to know the Lord. The idea in parenting is for us to instruct their minds in such a way that they know the Lord, that they have a relationship with the Lord. It's not about knowing facts about God. It's about knowing the Lord. In fact, the word instruction means to put into their mind. So, What do we put into the mind? Well, our text says the instruction of the Lord. So we see here in this small verse, we see here stressed in our text, as parents, we are to train our children by disciplining and to instruct, which is, by the way, instructing is milder than the term discipline. But without discipline, instruction would be incomplete. By putting them together, there is the appeal to the conscience of our children, to, to, be bring, to be brought up. We're appealing to their conscience, to their heart, to be brought up. There's an appeal to the, wheel, the will. 
to discipline them to respond to the Lord. So not only to respond with their heart, but to, to, to give up their will, to submit to the Lord. And there, that's the discipline. And then there is the appeal, the appeal to their mind to instruct them to know the Lord. That is the pattern of godly parenting. What instructions are you handing down to kids in the home? as grandparents, as parents, as teachers. What instructions are you handing down? We hand down lots of instructions. We share lots of things. We shape our kids' minds all the time by different things, by what we watch, by what we say, by what we idolize. It's dangerous. It's dangerous for me to like something because my kids begin to like it too. Are the instructions and the knowledge of God outweighing the things that we like? Or do the things that we like outweigh the instructions of the Lord? That is what God is telling us. Pastor Ralph read this for us, and you say, well, you might not, you're like, I don't know how that fit. But listen to this, these verses again in Deuteronomy chapter 6, especially verses 4 through 7. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and with all your might. Does that sound familiar? Isn't that what Jesus said? Yeah. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And you shall teach them, same word there, teach, to bring them up diligently to your children. And you shall talk with them, instruct them. When you sit down and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. And the, the Israelites got it all wrong. And, and it says, bind them to your wrists and put them on your forehead and put it on your doorpost. See, they, they, they said, oh, well, we're going to make all these rules and we're going to do all that and make it religious. But did you hear what God said in verse 5? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. With every part of your body. And now he says, here are some examples. When you're sitting at your house, are you instructing them in the Lord? When, when you walk by the way, when you're just walking around and you say, oh, son, let me tell you, oh, did you see that? Let me tell you about the Lord, what the Lord has done. When, when you lie down and when you're lying down and you say, you know what, what do we have to be thankful for today? Did you realize what God did today? Did you realize what we have because of Christ, because of the Lord? Do you talk about that? Are you instructing them? You see the instruction, he's not talking about, he's not talking about sitting here in church and hear the instruction of the Lord, shaping your mind. He's not talking about going to Awana or you know, going and memorizing verses and just knowing about knowing and having a knowledge of God. He's talking about life. In your life, are you instructing our children that God has blessed us with? Is the Lord and His commands and His promises always on our lips? Our children need to see the Lord in everyday life. That was fun going to the auction yesterday with my twins. Their eyes were like, Wah. every tractor was like candy to them. 
It was like they, they wanted to ride every tractor at least twice. And that's what's cool about the auction. They can climb on about everything, uh, as much as I would let them anyway. Um, and, uh, oh, it was a blast. But it was like I could talk to them about different things. Oh, you know why we don't do that? Because the Lord tells us to think about the interest of others. Is and, and, and there's instruction. There's life happening. And is the Lord the part of that? Or is it don't do this, don't do that? Is it just yelling at the kids? That, it's about forming their minds to understand that the, how important the Lord is. You see what I was saying about this is applicable for all of our lives? That's the way we should be living. The Lord is one. The Lord is our God. He is the Lord. He is great. And we're supposed to worship Him and love Him with every ounce of who we are in everyday life. The last thing... And the most importantly thing, the, the pattern for parenting is this. Parents are to evangelize their kids. Do you just tell your kids that they're saved? Or are you explaining to them what salvation is, the gospel is, so that they make that decision from their heart? Are you teaching? Are you molding, going back to the first one? Parents, nourish their, are you nourishing their heart so that they're sensitive to God? And so when they see their need in their life, they say, I need the Lord. All, the, all of these other four things are so that way they'll be sensitive to the Lord's leading in their life. You may be saying, I've made mistakes as a parent, or I, I wasn't that kind of a parent. Well, that's, you know, get, God doesn't care about the, the past. He cares, what are you going to do now? Are you going to help your children? Are you going to teach your children how to teach their children? That's the best thing about being grandparents is you get to come alongside and support and help. My, my, my mom is loving that part. Yeah, it was hard growing up with a split home with an unsaved parent and a saved parent. That was brutal. She gets to come into my home where we just love the Lord and she, she can just undergird that. And then she goes, this is, this is the greatest joy is to help her grandchildren be molded by the Lord. Howard Hendricks, uh, one of, uh, he was a teacher at Dallas Theological Seminary. I loved him. Passed away a few years ago. He said this. He said, children are not looking for perfect parents, but they're looking for honest parents. An honest, progressing parent is a highly infectious person. Right? Mold them. Help them to see your sensitivity to the Lord and that you're willing to go to the Lord with your faults. There are some parents who have tried their best, but their children have just walked out on the Lord. Stop beating yourself up. If you nurture your kids and you're parenting your kids and you've given them to the Lord, they have to choose to respond to the Lord. You can't force your kids to walk the way they need to walk. Just go back and keep giving them to the Lord. It doesn't say that you'll be a do all these four things and it'll work when they're five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and they'll be perfect little kids. No, that's what the rod of correction is for, to beat that imperfection out, right? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> the idea is, is that 
God says it's not about your time when your kid gets right with the Lord. It's about keep doing it and keep giving your kid to the Lord until he, he or she gets it right with the Lord. Keep the door open as a parent. Just because they've left the house doesn't mean you're no longer a mom or dad. I had to figure that one out as a son who got married. Doesn't mean my mom's no longer a part of my life. <laughs> I made a lot of mistakes as a son. Don't beat yourself up. Just keep doing what you know God wants you to do. There may be some here today that don't have a relationship with your Heavenly Father. You may not be saved. You may not know the Lord, have a relationship with God. You may not realize that, that Jesus and God demonstrated this fatherly love that we're talking about for you, and He died for you on the cross to pay for your sin. He says, if you'll come to Him, if you'll repent and you believe that you'll put your faith and your trust in Him, He will save you from your sin. He'll provide a way to heaven. You will enter into the family of God. You say, well, I thought if I just did this or that, and I just went to church and I read my Bible, I was a part of God's family. I was religious. No. It's not about religious activity, following through with different things. It's about giving up your life and giving it to the Lord and, and taking the Lord's life that died for you. He paid for your life. Are you, gonna, you can't rely on your life. It says we are all sinners. We're all infected. We need the Lord to pay for our sins, to wash us and to cleanse us, all, of our, all unrighteous. Otherwise, we will not get to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. I want to read this song to you. We've sang it before, but I want to read it so you can kind of Pay attention to it. I once was lost in darkest night, yet thought I knew the way. The sin that promised joy in life had led me to my grave. I had no hope that you would own a rebel to your will. And if you had not loved me first, I would refuse you still. But as I ran my hellbound race in different to the cost, you looked upon my helpless state and you led me to the cross. And I beheld God's love displayed. You suffered in my place. You bore the wrath reserved for me. Now all I know is grace. Now, Lord, I would be yours alone and live so all might see the strength to follow your commands could never come from me. Oh, Father, use my ransom life in any way you choose and let my song forever be. My only boast is in you. That all I have is Christ because Jesus is my life. Is Jesus your life this morning? Is Jesus your life as a parent? Is Jesus your life as a student, as a child? Is Jesus your life as a boss or as a worker? Whoever, wherever you're at in life, is Jesus your life?
Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are burdened. I will give you rest. Don't be anxious about anything, but everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Will you trust and obey? Will you give your life to the Lord? Will you respond to his call to be the parent that God wants you to be, to be the grandparent that God wants you to be, to be the teacher that God wants you to be, to be the example that God wants you to be? Will you trust and obey? Because there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but then to trust and obey. There's no way to have peace and joy in life apart from God. Respond to him this morning. Lord, we praise you for you, you have fearfully and wonderfully made us, you knew us, in the womb, before we were even born, you formed. You, before we were born, you formed us. You named us. You loved us. You gave your Son for us. You died in our place, Lord. I pray that if someone here needs to respond to you and say, "Lord, here's my life. Save me. I trust in you," Lord, would they obey you and repent and believe in you instead of believing in their own good works to pay for their sins? Lord, would they give their life to you and repent and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I need you. Save me. Lord, I pray that right now if someone here knows that they've not done that, that they would do that this morning and respond to you. And Lord, the rest of us may respond the call to be the parents that you've called us to be. We praise you, Lord, that you are our Father. You loved us. You died for us. You've forgiven us. You've nurtured us. You've disciplined us. You've strengthened us. You are so faithful. Lord, may we never stop trusting you. May we live rejoicing in the gospel every day, the good news that you took our place and paid for our sin and adopted us into your family and given us your righteousness, your goodness. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done. In Jesus' name we pray.